So thought is not, and thought, of course, is an energy form. It's an energy presence in experience. Um, so this this energy um, form, as as any energy form of thought, does in fact, by its very nature, reflect the meaningfulness of, of all other energy forms, but not in the simplistic and 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 definitional way that referential thought pretends to, the conceptual thought pretends to. Oh, I'm thinking of such and such, and such and such is a such and such, which is very a very plodding and and heavily oversimplified um, way of trying to engage with this actual interrelationship of energy forms. There's essentially two ways that reality can orient to itself. Um, one of these ways um, pre present, tends to present itself as what is defined as the spiritual problem, as an essentially unsatisfactory or ultimately unsatisfactory condition. The other of these ways it presents itself as the solution to the problem, although it's not actually the solution to the problem. It, it reveals that the problem actually does not exist in the way that it is taken to exist when it's felt to be a problem. The problematic way that reality orients to itself is to orient to itself in terms of uh, experiential patterning, in terms of um, what's called appearances, in terms of all of these apparent conditions that seem to appear within experience. And if these conditions are held to be autonomously existing and objective, you know, actual objective conditions, um, and reality orients itself to, in other words, interprets what is happening in terms of these patternings, um, it will become disoriented to what's actually going on. For example, I mean, this is very, we're all very familiar with this, this is a normal human condition. Typically, the intelligence identifies perhaps with the body, perhaps with a history, perhaps with um, uh, apparent circumstances, interrelationships with other apparent beings and objects and so on and so forth, um, all of which ultimately um, presents as problematic. <laughs> um, in one way or another. When, when, on the other hand, reality orients towards itself as the presence of what it actually is, this presence that is here, the presence of experience, regardless of um, what seems to be um, appearing within it, then th all of these apparitions um, uh, fall into their actual context um, as momentary um, expressions of this presence, of this radiant presence that actually exists. <clears throat> now, it's very easy in practice to draw wrong conclusions from this, to suppose that, oh, I'm, there's all of these, these, these apparent conditions and things going on, and oh, so I'm supposed to ignore all that, I'm supposed to somehow see through that, somehow have that become transparent like a window I'm looking through. And this is, um, this is uh, not a... <laughs> a useful strategy. It will compound the problem <laughs> that seems to exist in the first place. In practical terms, the way to 
orient to presence as opposed to appearances is to um, to be to stop playing favorites within appearances to stop um, to stop orienting to partial appearances relative to other appearances and and then um, uh, 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 having uh, um, a supposition that some appearances are better or superior or somehow more desirable than other appearances, which is what causes all the problems. <coughs> For example, um, <clears throat> well, let's see. For example, isn't a good way to go. Um, so, um, It's very easy for a spiritual newbie to suppose, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to get away from all these appearances, so I'm going to sit in meditation and cultivate, you know, some emptiness or some blankness or some, trying to create some sort of zero event <laughs> experience as if that would be the solution. But of course, an experience like that is actually just another apparition. So it's not going to solve any problems at all. It's just, you're just, again, you're playing favorites. You're playing that this mode of apparition is superior or more desirable than that mode of apparition, which just compounds the problem. <coughs> so the way to orient to presence rather than appearances is to be with all appearances the same. Um, and again, this is not something that one contrives or one tries to create or tries to aspire to. Um, it is uh, essentially um, uh, letting go of it mattering what things look like, what things seem to be. So, um, for example, there's pleasure and there's pain. So, well, okay, great. So pleasure and pain. All right, I can sort of see pleasure and pain are both sensations, but I prefer pleasure and I, and I don't like pain. But the preferring pleasure is itself just another apparition. It's just another pattern itself. So you, I let go of that mattering. So the fact that I prefer pleasure doesn't matter. And then, but I, I prefer pleasure, but I don't always get pleasure. And so the fact that I get, don't always get pleasure doesn't matter. So all of this, it's a matter of releasing the importance of these apparitions, um, and ultimately that is the technique of oriented presence rather than patterning, um, because when patterns are not oriented to as important in themselves, they spontaneously deflate as um, as points of orientation. And one orients to the experience, spontaneously orients to the presence of the experiential field itself, which is the true phenomena, which is the true um, actuality that is here. Um, and it just simply in so doing, that condition reveals its nature to the experiencing um, intelligence, which is, of course, that same condition. You know, our language, we put them as if there were two different things, but in fact it's not. <coughs> and um, so in that condition of letting go of it mattering, 
Um, and this letting go of, 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 the, of, the, of the appearances mattering is very subtle because ultimately, it, you know, at the finest points, it becomes even letting go of letting go. So I'm letting go that it matters, you know, and then, but, but so let go of letting go that it matters. It doesn't, it's not even important that I let go. So the ultimate letting go is a, is a, is a strange non-condition of absolute normalcy with absolute investment and involvement and identification <laughs> because it doesn't need to not be that. <laughs> the, entire, the entire orientation becomes devalued um, <coughs> through um, letting it be exactly what it is and not needing it to be one iota different than that. And that's the, I mean, that's, that's just one sentence, but that's really the crux of the whole thing. So one, one discovers that absolute normalcy is actually absolute transcendence, is actually um, completely, uh, complete actual presence of reality without needing to be different. It's the needing to be different that's the fly in the ointment, which is generated by supposing that some apparition is superior to some other apparition. The essence of spirituality is to understand, to come to see directly what this is, what is happening here, what is, what is going on here. Um, what it is, is radically um, divergent from what people are usually concerned with in terms of their in terms of normal human conceptualization yes. of uh, yes. what is actuality and what it consists of. Because of this it can be very difficult but because of this and also because of the fact that what is happening here is not amenable to description are not amenable to being addressed in words or in concepts. So, um, because of this, it becomes very difficult to um, get one's foot in the door, so to speak, to see what, to know where to look to begin to um, directly, to notice, to directly engage with what is happening here um, uh, in more direct terms than the normal human mode. <clears throat> um, possibly the simplest approach is to notice presence. Presence is something that is extremely obvious. This is present. Experience is present. Um, I, you know, I see that statue and this seeing is present. I hear sound, the sound is present. There is thought, the thought is present. So presence is very obvious, but presence is extremely subtle. Try and pin down what presence is. So it's so obvious that presence is that, that presence is present. But exactly what is it? Exactly how does it work? Exactly, you know, um, what, what can you know about it other than its obvious um, nature. Um, one of the obvious things about presence is it does not come or go. There's never more or less presence. Presence experience is always completely present. 
it doesn't become unpresent. It doesn't. It doesn't um, become more present. It's always completely present. Um, another interesting thing about presence is it always shows up as something. You know, the, the vision is present. Hearing is present. Some kind of an experiential quality is present. Presence never shows up nakedly. You can't find naked presence. If you you can have very subtle imaginations, imaginings of nothingness, and and then that that imagining of nothingness is present. But this is just another kind of a of an object of a thingness that seems to be showing up as presence, which is very interesting. Which is why I coined the phrase radiant presence because presence is always radiant. Presence always shows up as something. Presence always um, projects what we might call experiential qualities. So if you look at presence and the constancy of presence and the ubiquitousness of presence and look at this in terms of what people are normally concerned with, how much time, how often do people pay attention to presence? You know, people don't. People are interested in what's happening and what this is and what's going on and what's, you know, this is going into that and so on and so forth. Um, all of which is projections, imaginary projections, um, based upon the apparent patterns that appear um, in the context of presence. <coughs> so, um, a very simple, very direct way to see reality is feel presence, look at presence. Look at it very closely. It's it's very obvious. It's very specific. It's very explicit. It's quite possible to notice it profoundly. It's not it's not even subtle. It's it's blatant, but it's very strange. You can't look at it. You can't hold it. You can't get a handle on it. You can't analyze it. You can't say much about it. Anything you say about it ends up being gibberish. <coughs> which um, illustrates the difficulty in settling into actual reality and settling into actual uh, what this actually is, what you actually are. <clears throat> because what it is is so alien, so other with relationship to what uh, consensus reality, human thought and um, ideas and understanding of what you are and of what is happening here um, consists of.
it's quite possible to actually direct your attention to the presence. It's quite possible to notice it. It's very obvious. It's not something that most people are in the habit of doing because it's generally not thought to be very interesting or very valuable. You don't, you can't get anything out of it. You know, you can't, <laughs> you can't acquire it or, or lose it or do anything with it. It just, it just is. And yet, in actuality, it's the only thing that is. All of these, all of these complications that humans are very concerned about, and they're trying to get things out of, and achieve things, and avoid things, and all of these intricacies, are just fantasies that can appear within present, and that never actually are connected with any actuality, that never actually lead to anything. At the end of the day, all there is is present. And all of these apparitions, this continual radiance, the pa all these patterns continually changing um, instantaneously, they're all gone. They're always just gone, gone, gone. You never have anything that remains, anything that holds but presence. And it's radiance. The particular, the particular patterns that the radiance may seem to be showing up as are, are completely gone, but the radiance itself is constant. Presence never shows up naked. It's essential in this investigation, in this yoga, to come to see the way in which actuality, this that is here, is absolutely complete, in inclusive, whole, and perfect, exactly the way it is. It can be extremely easy um, uh, to fall into subtle and not so subtle distinctions between supposed this portion of it versus that portion of it. You know, awareness is better than phenomena, or you know, um, um, feeling energy is better than thought, or this is better than that, and we we compartmentalize. We imagine we're compartmentalizing this actuality into different aspects of it, and then we assume certain aspects are more essential or more primal or more ultimately useful or powerful in terms of this inquiry than, than other aspects. <clears throat> um, all of this is in the nature of the problem, not the solution. <laughs> so, um, the, so the yoga essentially consists of coming to see the way in which um, what is here, exactly the way it is, is the transcendental, absolutely pure and perfect reality. <clears throat> um, and this, this is subtle and it can be difficult because, of course, we're all very familiar with the normal human mode of gamesmanship of this is better than that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> And it's very, very subtle because, of course, if you look closely at the inclusiveness of actuality, um, you will discover that even this human gamesmanship 
is itself pure and perfect. That itself doesn't need to be eliminated or purified or somehow um, filtered out of the of the um, engagement. <coughs> so it's a very strange condition. It's it's actually the reason I um, included the uh, the reason I titled my my um, book uh, the way that I did. Um, Dirty Enlightenment, the Inherent Perfection of Imperfection. Even the, the flaws, the flies in the ointment, the challenges, the, the noise in the system um, is the essence, is the inherent perfection, is um, what enlightenment's about. And in fact, um, I could be so bold as to characterize the essence of realization is seeing quite clearly exactly the way that this is so, exactly the way that everything and anything, exactly the way it is, the way it happens to be, is this absolute transcendental completeness and perfection. <coughs> um, but it can be a challenge, obviously, <laughs> because it's, this is so contrary to the normal human mode, and yet it includes the normal human mode. <laughs> So it's, you know, paradox, uh, paradox runs amok, <laughs> as usual. <coughs> coming to see this, coming to see the absolute, you know, let's call it okayness of any and every bit, portion, flavor of actuality, um, is both the challenge and the goal, to the extent there is a goal. And of course, even that isn't a goal, because the goal is to come to notice that there is no goal. The goal is to come to notice that this actuality that is here is its own goal, and that goal is already achieved eternally. <clears throat> so all this may sound like a Zen koan or a riddle or an insoluble paradox, which it happens to be, <laughs> but that doesn't make it actually... Um, um, unengageable. That doesn't make it um, impossible to uh, to play with, impossible to investigate, impossible to discover, to notice that it happens to be the way it happens to be. <clears throat> and of course, you know, in the past we've talked many times about different aspects of the tricks of the trade of how to discover this. You know, noticing the absolute spontaneity of phenomenon, the way everything, you know, appears full blown miraculously, you know, both things we identify as personal and things we identify as impersonal, um, the way everything is instantaneous, the way everything is entirely and completely unresolvable. So so all of our efforts at categorization are wrong to begin with because we don't really know what anything is. So the basis for our qualification of subjective and objective is absurd because if you look at the actual present experience itself, you can't tell what it is. And of course, this is the master key to the yoga, is to look at direct experience. You will discover you cannot pin it down. And since you can't pin it down, then there's absolutely no basis for all your expert qualifications that you have accumulated and exercised with wild abandon all of your life. <laughs> or, you know, for, for countless, countless kalpas, if you want to I get technical. <laughs> Popular spirituality largely consists of misconceptions and misunderstandings. 
um, unfortunately. True spirituality is extremely simple. There's one powerful fact, and true spirituality consists of the exploration of that fact. Um, this fact is the nature of reality. Now, saying the nature of reality sounds very grandiose and abstract, but it's much simpler than that. It's this that is here. It's actuality. It's not abstract at all. In fact, it's supremely concrete. This that is here um, is its nature is the powerful thing. Um, its nature is not what it is thought to be. Simply because it's unthinkable. It cannot be thought. And um, of course, as human beings, we're all very familiar with the conceit that we can and, and, and should make sense of things, should be able to describe things, should be able to be very erudite and elaborate and come up with all of these um, detailed narrations of what's going on and how it's happening and what to do about it and so on and so forth. But it happens that the intrinsic nature of this that is here renders that impossible. Um, what is here, one of the aspects of what is here that makes it so peculiar and so strange is that it's entirely unresolvable. Um, in other words, you cannot precisely pin down exactly what anything is, how it is, even if it is. Um, which is, a, may seem to be a little counterintuitive, um, from the normal human mindset, where of course we think we know what everything is, you know, this is a floor and that's a cushion, this is a chair, and you know, blah, 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 blah. But if you look very closely at all of this human knowledge, all it really is is a very sophisticated um, series of designations, labels, you know, you can put on things and say, this is, you know, this is a chair, you know, this is a floor. I don't know what it is, but I'm calling it a floor, and then I'm pretending that that somehow calling it a floor settles the issue, and I, there's nothing to look at there. All of a sudden it's boring because it's just a floor, who eats a shit? But in actual fact, um, nothing in experience can be precisely resolved as to exactly what it is, how it is, and so on and so forth. And again, this is not an abstraction, this is a concrete self-verifying actuality. <clears throat> this applies to not just the nature of apparent things and conditions, but interrelationships, juxtapositions, space and time themselves, all of these qualities um, are inscrutable. Now, rather than being a problem, you know, one might argue, well, you can't tell what anything is, so you're screwed. You know, you're, you're, you're lost. Um, this is not true. Because, again, there's the, the fallacy, the human, the, the common, ubiquitous human fallacy that you're supposed to be able to tell what something is, otherwise you cannot, you know, do anything. You can't, you can't, um, um, uh, 
make it a part of your of your schemes or whatever. But this is but this is a fallacy because um, the the nature of what this is is intrinsically such that the unresolvability of things um, is a revelation of their actual concrete nature. Everything is concretely and actually unresolvable. And this unresolvability, um, taken as such, um, is the basis for all of one's all of the juxtapositions and all of the interrelationships, all of the dancing that seems to occur um, within all of these apparent conditions. What one is is unresolvable. What one's situation is is unresolvable. The interrelationship between all of these apparent subsystems is unresolvable. Even if these subsystems exist as subsystems is unresolvable. Another peculiarity of this actuality is that it, it, it includes itself. It does not have any parts or pieces. It's essentially a continuum, although you can't find it as a verifiable continuum because, of course, it's not resolvable whether or not that's actually the case. <laughs> but it certainly is the case that um, all subsystems, all apparent subsystems, are designations only. You cannot find a demarcation between any portion and any other portion. You know, the notion that my hand is separate from my body is an absurdity. The hand is considered in the body. The notion that my body is separate from the biosphere is an absurdity. My, my body is coterminous with the biosphere. And the, you know, the notion that the biosphere is separate from the planet is absurd. The notion that the planet is separate from the solar system is absurd. So basically, when I look at my hand, I'm looking at the solar system. Or the galaxy or the system of reality, or whatever you want. Again, not as an abstraction, but as the concrete fact. Um, and again, um, exploring this actuality, exploring this powerful fact that is here, um, directly reveals that this is so in the way that it is so, um, and directly uh, communicates itself. Um, with infinite profundity. Because another interesting aspect about this fact, this, this actuality that is here, is it is not inert. It is not a simple mechanical presence. On the contrary, it's pure intelligence. It's pure meaningfulness. It's pure, you could say, purposefulness. Um, and again, the way in which this is so um, is discoverable <coughs> through direct exploration. Now, this exploration is possible because your experience is this actuality. So you are already intrinsically exploring it. You're already very familiar with the nature of this. Although, again, typically human beings are hampered by the human semantic overlay of assuming things are definable and assuming you already know what things are, which, of course, is very quickly discovered to be <laughs> Absurd posturing. <laughs> the nature of, of um, the spiritual dilemma is so paradoxical. This, this already is what the goal of spirituality is. And 
it's already being experienced exactly as such, and yet paradoxically, um, uh, it cannot be recognized that that's the case. And so the problem is one of recognition. The problem isn't one of any change of condition or, um, you know, uh, even even learning anything uh, uh, or adding to one's repertoire of, of um, knowledge or anything like this. <coughs> and it's very strange that that is so. You know, how can we be experiencing this, uh, you know, eternally or certainly all your life and yet not somehow not recognizing it. And it's very paradoxical because, of course, everyone does recognize it. Everyone does know what it is. But somehow that's swept under the carpet as a subjective weirdness and, and that, you know, supplanted by the urgency of buying into um, objective, you know, so-called consensus um, reality and consensus interpretation of what's going on. <clears throat> So, essentially, the, the, the spiritual struggle, the spiritual battle is with oneself. It's with one's own insistence on, on, um, on, inter on playing the game, on, on denying the obvious evidence of one's immediate experience, and instead insisting that, um, you know, uh, it's kind of like the Republican politicians do, I imagine. <laughs> I don't imagine I observe... <laughs> You know, everyone knows it's all bullshit. They know it's all bullshit, but they do it anyway because it's the party line, and that way everyone gets to make a lot of money. <laughs> um, and, you know, in, in a way, people are in the same boat, you know. To the extent there's any spiritual frustration or spiritual dilemma, it's self-sabotage that's occurring. Um, you know, of course, not intentional and deliberate, but but in effect, that's all that's happening. Um, so the the important point, the root, the 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 the, the root phenomena is simply the presence of your experience exactly the way it is, um, which of course is already already the case and is even known to be the case. Um, so training in this is simply <laughs> letting yourself look at experience and and notice the way that it actually is. Notice how how interesting and nonlinear and instantaneous and spontaneous and infinite and you know so on and so forth. You can make a list of approximate characteristics, which of course will in no way capture the actuality. Um, and notice that that is. What's happening here, and all of the consensus reality stuff is being insisted upon with absolutely zero evidence, with absolutely no basis for, for um, uh, no 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 proof, no evidence. It's, you know, no, it doesn't have a leg to stand on. It's only it's only effective through the through its collective assertion, you know, through people claiming, no, this is how it is. There is no global warming. <laughs> <clears throat> and because of the perversity of consciousness and hypnotic suggestion, simply that assertion is actually can be actually very effective. You know, <laughs> um, it's important to play the game. It's really you know I can't let anyone know that I'm a weirdo. I can't let anyone know that I'm really me. I have to pretend to. I have to keep this mask up. I have to pretend that I'm 
you know, I'm normal and I'm okay and I'm I'm playing the game, you know, at least at least pay, play, paying lip service to playing the game, even if I make a point of flouting my eccentricities just to various degrees. <laughs> but you can't, you know, there's a certain line that one imagines you, one can't cross. <laughs> you know, danger Will Robinson. <laughs> but, you know, it's all, it's all an internal, essentially it's all an internal psychological game that one plays with oneself. Reality is just he's sitting here, and that's all that is here, and it doesn't care one way or the other. So spirituality is really just taking advantage of the fact that you actually can <laughs> get real. You actually can enjoy what is the case. You don't have to play these elaborate games of denial and, and, and assertion of bullshit. <clears throat> Virtually all spiritual teaching um, tends to present an erroneous implication <clears throat> um, that the spiritual goal is some um, wonderful, lofty extreme that has to be reached through um, more or less... Uh, extreme effort and uh, process and practice and uh, generally a, lo a, lo a long and winding road <laughs> with, a, with a questionable um, with, with, a, with a questionable <laughs> chance of arriving at your destination and so on and so forth um, it's unfortunate that this has become the sort of universal mindset regarding spirituality because the implication is really entirely wrong. It's entirely inaccurate. <clears throat> and the actual situation is that this condition that is here is the condition that is, can be called enlight the enlightened condition, the transcendental condition, the divine condition, and so on and so forth. Nothing like nothing other than that has ever been present. This is all that there is. It's impossible to have some undivine or untranscendental condition be present. It cannot happen. So the spiritual problem turns out to be a simple matter of misinterpretation, um, misunderstanding. It's an educational deficiency, <laughs> one might say. <laughs> and... Um, <coughs> So it's really, really very simple. Um, nothing needs to be achieved. Nothing that you don't need to get from some here to some there. You don't need to traverse some distance or leave some condition and arrive at some other condition. Um, all of that is is inaccurate. It's not actually like that. <clears throat> and. Uh, So, in terms of process, it's really just a matter of tricks. Since, since, the, since the, a situation that needs to be addressed is one of misinterpretation, then um, discovering correct interpretation um, is, is a matter of discovery. It's a matter of exploration. It's a matter of education. And correct interpretation is easily and readily available because the evidence is completely accessible. The nature of 
actuality, the nature of what you might call experience, um, is not concealed, is not hidden, it is not um, uh, in any way uh, um, blocked or impeded or needing to be, you don't need to achieve some special condition in order to explore reality. You're, you've always been doing nothing but. It's impossible to do anything but because there's nothing else in existence but reality to explore. <laughs> Life consists of the exploration of reality, one might say. <clears throat> Nonetheless, um, you know, misinterpretation seems to be, judging by the evidence, <laughs> apparently, <laughs> seems to be um, very commonplace uh, and seems to be um, challenging to break through um, for a variety of reasons. <clears throat> but, notwithstanding that that may seem to be the case, still in all, it's a very powerful point that this is already that. You don't need to get anywhere. You don't need to traverse any distance. You don't need to transform anything into anything else um, in order to, to um, solve the spiritual riddle or the spiritual puzzle. <clears throat> Um, but I think that, again, you know, for those of us that have, you know, studied spirituality over the course of our lives, you know, typically for years and read books and read teachings and looked into Buddhism and Taoism and this, that, and the other, it's easy to get the, 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 the erroneous idea, you know, that, 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 that it sort of can be established and set up in the back of one's mind and more or less taken as, 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 as an established fact that, you know, oh my God, there's this enormous lofty goal out there, somewhere way, way out there, you know, so far away, and it's, you know, it's going to be so challenging and so difficult, and, you know, I have to, you know, start, you know, do, start my 100,000 prostrations and start my 20 years of meditation and start my this and start my that, you know, and even then, I, I, I will, you know, I will be severely hampered unless I reach, you know, get an enlightened teacher to show me the way and, and clear my karma and this, that, and the other. <coughs> um, and all of this is unnecessary. All of this is superfluous. Uh, and, but but because all of this has been, you know, rather thoroughly implanted in the in the in the cultural mindset, um, the overview of what spirituality consists of, you know, most people are more or less in the sway of that kind of a, uh, uh, an approach, um, which, which makes it seem much more daunting than it is. The simple fact is that um, you are already completely an embodiment of transcendental reality. Your experience is the full and complete naked expression of transcendental reality. And in fact, you are experiencing that fact constantly. And in fact, you are even noticing that fact very often. Although typically, we don't value these noticings because we are in the habit of devaluing them because we think of them as noise in the system. We think of them as spacing out. We think of them as a lack of focus. Because again, typically, we're also um, brainwashed in the notion of orienting to something, you know, getting a handle on something, figuring something out, 
solving some problem, being productive in some way, achieving something, all of which is essentially is completely imaginary. <laughs> Nothing like any of that actually exists at all. <laughs> all that ever happens is this transcendental actuality grooving on itself. <laughs> Basically, that's the sole action. That's the sole activity. That's the only thing that can happen and the only thing that has ever happened. And of course, in, in your experience, that looks like you're just going, oh. <laughs> you know, but oh, you know, I spaced out. I was not, you know, I wasn't working on anything. I was, wasn't achieving anything. I was just, you know, I wasn't even thinking of anything or looking at anything. So it must have been a, you know, a, a failure or a non-event or a lesser um, uh, period of functioning. There's no, there is no functioning. <laughs> functioning is a complete myth. All that there is, is God, loving God, right here. And your experience is that, pure and simple, totally, already. It can't not be that. And so, as I said, you're already noticing that. You're already doing nothing but that. So, you know, this is the goal. It's valuable to notice that experience tends to present in two concurrent modes um, simultaneously, generally. Um, one mode, of course, is the mode of what things feel like they are, what things seem to be. And um, uh, what, what you think things are. And the other mode is the mode of um, present transcendental actuality. <clears throat> transcendental in the sense that it transcends um, any uh, possibility of pinning it down, of interpreting it, of, of analyzing it, of getting to the bottom of what it is. <coughs> um, of course, the normal, as, as humans, the normal stance is to orient very heavily towards the, the the portion of interpretation, the portion of experience where, you know, what we think is going on, what we think things are, what we think we are, what we think is happening, and to more or less ignore the other portion. Um, some people like, for example, artists and, and, and such, um, uh, more, uh, <clears throat> you know, tend a little bit more to the, to the, uh, the more raw experience, the aspect of experience that does not seem to come, um, uh, seem to be being held as being a particular way. Um, but by and large, that's still in the context of, of the, um, of the interpretive framework. <clears throat> this is, you know, from our point of view, this is important to notice. This is po powerful and useful to notice because the, the interpreted aspect of experience, what experience seems to be, what experience feels like it is, what experience, um, what we think experience is, is essentially wrong. It's, it's not that. It is, it is inaccurate. It is untrue. And um, what's more, 
it tends to present as a limited um, partial uh, essentially frustrating context of incompleteness uh, as contrasted with the, this, this other mode of of, um, of of mystery, let's call it, uh, that uh, where no such partiality and no such incompleteness um, presents at all. <coughs> um, and <laughs> most fundamentally, this mysterious mode, this mode, uh, this inscrutable mode, is actual. It's what's actually here. <laughs> and, uh, of course, it is also what this actually is, it is what you actually are. And so, through, through letting yourself discover and play with this mode of being with your experience, um, you, you spontaneously um, grow to appreciate and partake of the inherent nature of what this is, what you are, um, in particularly in terms of its its transcendental nature, its completeness, its miraculousness, um, uh, its its eternality, eternality, and so on and so forth, which is kind of a kind of a delightful implication by contrast with the you know the the, the normal world, the normal human worldview implicit in the in the in the in the analyzed. Perspective of things, which generally is is unsatisfactory to various degrees. So to try to be very specific about exactly what yoga is, exactly what spirituality is, what what is one working with? What is one engaging with? What is one trying to? achieve. Um, simplistically, one can look at a, a, a scale going from reality, actuality, uh, as one extreme value, and delusion, or confusion, or unreality, or um, insanity, being lost in fantasy at the other extreme value of the scale. <clears throat> now, humans seem to engage with the reality of their being along the scale. <clears throat> um, so concretely, what does what constitutes delusion? What is delusion made of? What does delusion look like? And conversely, what does reality look like? What does realization look like? What does um, actuality look like? <clears throat> well, delusion looks like concretizing the qualities of experience. In other words, um, In other words, supposing that something exists that is a certain way. So, 
I'm in this room, and this room actually exists. I'm looking at this computer, and this computer actually exists. It's a concrete, objective, um, solid object that exists in an objective space-time continuum that is stably that, is solidly that, is undeniably that, um, for example. Um, this is what delusion looks like. It concretizes and stabilizes. It, it, it approaches the continuum of experience, or the whatever of experience, the field of experience, let's call it, um, as if it was, as if it consisted of findable, somehow definable, somehow identifiable, stable objects or conditions. <clears throat> Actuality, on the other hand, reality, on the other hand, is entirely unresolvable. Um, unresolvable is a, a very subtle and profound <laughs> notion. But what that looks like is um, you can't tell what anything is. You can't pin anything down. You can't find any stability. You can't find any concretization. You can't find anything that actually is findably a certain way um, with certainty. In other words, it's, it's, it's slipperiness to the power of slipperiness. It's completely open-ended. It's completely... Um, well, and it, it, as soon as you try to... It's, it's, it's very subtle, because as soon as you try and put these label, these notions on, even these subtle notions, you're subtly concretizing it. So even saying it's unresolvable, all of a sudden you're positing this unresolvability is some, you know para-concrete <laughs> condition that is findable, that, that, that actually exists. Um, so, so, that would, so that would still be on the continuum, that would be moving slightly towards the delusion side. You know, even saying that it's slippery, saying that it's unfindable, saying that it's unresolvable, saying that it's dreamlike, is all very nice, but it's still on the delude, towards the delusion side because you're concretizing it to that degree. Obviously, that's a, a much less heavy-handed concretizing than perhaps the normal materialistic worldview that we can imagine uh, most people um, relate to of, you know, uh, uh, living in an objective, solid world and, and so on and so forth. So this, so this is the actuality that one is working with in one's experience in terms of yoga. So a red flag is anything that seems like something, anything that seems to be a certain way, anything that seems to, to be anything um, in the broadest possible terms. And, of course, typically for most of us, that's clearingly obvious. <laughs> things, things seem to be <laughs> whatever. Computer seems to be a computer, you know, People seem to be people, you know, my body seems to be my body, and so on and so forth. But the yogi looks at this very closely and looks at the actuality of experience and discovers the slipperiness of experience, discovers the absolute instantaneous instability of experience, discovers that any and all experiential qualities don't actually cohere into being a certain findable, precise way. It's all innuendo. It's all implication. Mind you, it's an infinite density. It's an in inconceivable um, uh, 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 potency 
of implication and innuendo. So obviously there's a there's such a, a shitload of information that is being presented as um, as experiential qualities um, that it's very very easy to free associate on that as being various ways. But the, the yogi looks very closely at these experiential qualities and notices their their essential nature of not. Of, of having implication of being a certain way while it's not actually being findable as actually being that way. Um, absolutely. I mean, you know, the closer you look, the more precisely you look at experiential characteristics, the more obvious it is that they aren't the way that they, they seem to be superficially. <clears throat> um, or they don't resolve ultimately to precisely being that way. Um, uh, and so this is the this is this is the the concrete nature. This is the actual nature of what the yogi is working with, is being with um, the degree of of one's laziness at having settled into a concretized view. Of what is of what reality uh, consists of, um, and challenging that, looking at that, and, and discovering more and more carefully, more and more precisely, um, exactly how that is, and exactly um, how that works, and exactly what this concretization is. And if the yogi brings sufficient um, intelligence and good fortune to this investigation. Um, they will notice that as they look at the actuality of experience, it, they just, this, this is, this is a, a, a really very palpable discovery that um, it's not quite like that, that, that things are subtle, that things are slippery, that things are floating, that things are difficult to pin down. And one looks at this difficulty to pin down and discovers that even that is difficult to pin down. How it is... Even that that it is slippery is slippery. Even that it is unresolvable is unresolvable. So it's not like one ever gets to, um, in any simple sense, reality, because reality can actually be found. But one gets to the fact that that is the case. The fact that one is essentially wandering in uh, what might be described as a dream, that that has endless implication, um, endless information, and yet never actually settles down um, verifiably as being any particular way. Um, so the so the, the the father the raw the raw material of yoga is really very very simple and very precise. It all has to do with this issue of concretization um, and and so uh, in practice what does the yogi do and look at anything that seems to be a certain way in one's experience anything in, in, in any way it doesn't need to be a heavy-handed concretization or objectification uh, as an object in, or a condition in an objective world any even subtle very very subtle um, objectification or, 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 or stabilization 
of you know, intelligence is intelligence, or consciousness is consciousness, or any, you know, whatever. You know, it doesn't really matter. Uh, you know, if if the yogi looks at this, one will see that in fact, every and anything that is being held to be something is actually a question mark. You can't actually find anything. Nothing is findable. Which means there are no things. There are no static conditions. There are no. Um, Nothing whatsoever exists, um, you know, and, and as no thing exists, no condition exists. Um, existence exists, um, uh, but but again, you go try and find an existence and try and find an existence that exists. That's it's in itself is a subtle objectification, and of course you won't find any such thing. But it's 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 palpable that it is. <laughs> However, it is, and 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 even if that isness is a <laughs> is unfindable, it's um, it is its own intrinsic positivity, whatever that means. <clears throat> um, so one is one is always in the midst of this very curious, um, you know, one is always standing at this fork of the roads of of the way things seem to be versus the fact that all of these ways things seem to be is not actually findable, is not actually resolvable. There's always seemings, there's always there's endless implications, but these implications by their very nature are unstable, unfindable, and unresolvable as actually being any particular way. Um, so um, this is the essential issue in spirituality in yoga and this is the the specific um, of what is being uh, dealt with what is being looked at um, so anyway um, I'd, uh, I welcome discussion with anybody that is interested and and, and uh, you know in, in terms of these kinds of discussions questions come up oriented around um, illustrate this exact issue. They come up oriented around something that someone thinks is an issue, is the case, is a, a basically by implication a certain way. And, you know, the point is always to look at that and discover that it's not that way. So one is continually pulling the rug out from under oneself of whatever way um, one is holding things to be, one is, whatever conditions one is one is holding as existent. <clears throat> and, of course, all entrapment, all stuckness, all unsatisfactoriness, and all, all, and, and all hope for improvement, all, hope, all aspiration for something better and all that, is all, is all essentially based upon the notion that of, of resolvability, the notion of that things are a certain way. For things to be unsatisfactory, you have to there have to be things, and they have to be find, resolvable as actually being unsatisfactory. And to hope for improvement, you have to posit some improved condition that actually exists and is that and, that, and that, and that there would be some possibility of motion or engagement with it. But of course, the yogi will ultimately discover that nothing like any of that is remotely possible. What actuality is, what this is here, is extremely strange. It's extremely weird. Um, 
in, intrinsically in its nature of what it is, which makes it impossible to talk about um, and impossible to describe. <clears throat> and generally, this is why I prefer to work with people on the basis of um, dealing with their in, with their individual perspectives, um, rather than trying to launch into broad general descriptions, um, or you know, um, uh, it turns out to be preambles um, that su that supposedly present <laughs> a panoramic view of what is going on here and what spirituality is and all of that, um, which is always hogwash, um, never accurate, possibly useful, um, but uh, intrinsically um, very awkward and, and, um, and, and essentially uh, misleading. <clears throat> But uh, in general, a, a, a good jumping-off point is to, is to start with noticing how very, very, very peculiar, how very, very, very strange and weird this actuality is. <clears throat> of course, that flies in the face of the skill with which, the skillfulness with which we've turned it into dull normalcy and complacency and taking it all for granted and just thinking of it as... <laughs> <laughs> as uh, <laughs> normal and and mundane. <laughs> um, which is an aspect of its weirdness that it that it can that it can manifest itself like that, that it can appear to be this that is so intrinsically bizarre. <laughs> can appear to be boring and normal and mundane it's astounding it's just another another facet of its astoundingness <clears throat> mm. but in practical terms the main point is what occurs here what this is is radically other than what you may hold it to be um, so the very nature of normalcy, the very nature of this dullness that we settle into in, in our, in our, you know, holding, you know, life, life is life and it's, you know, and it's boring and what's on TV kind of attitude. <laughs> uh, uh, it, it, what it, this is is so radically um, alien to anything that can seem to be uh, in that way. Um, and this is noticeable, this is discoverable, and that, of course, is a jumping-off point for discovering and recognizing what it actually is, um, which it happens, of course, is actually doable, hence this, this great enterprise of, of, of spiritual um, inquiry, what was called back in, alch in alchemical days the great work, um, is actually viable, is actually doable, is an actuality. I subtitled the book that I wrote um, The Inherent Perfection of Imperfection. And um, 
this is of the essence of um, what this yoga is about. In 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 the basic practical terms, it's not a matter of changing anything. It's a matter of seeing what things are. Um, and this can be, in practice, this can be a very um, subtle thing because it's really easy to have a subliminal notion that there's something to achieve or some perfection to to acquire or or some you know imperfection to eliminate uh, and so on and so forth. And this is most emphatically not the case. Simply seeing what anything is, you, you see what everything is. And when you see what everything is, it is revealed that its intrinsic nature is absolutely um, astounding and completely beyond improving or, or tainting or, uh, as, as I say over and over, the fundamental issue is not um, coming to see what reality is so much as it is seeing that our presuppositions or our, our notions about what it is, our feeling about what anything is, is completely and utterly inaccurate. So all, all suffering, all human suffering, um, all sense of, of unsatisfactoriness or dissatisfaction is based in this. We, miss it. we interpret things as being unsatisfactory, things as being um, uh, frustrating. Whereas in actuality, nothing is like that whatsoever. And so the, the solution to all of these apparent problems is simply to see what this is, to see the inherent perfection of apparent imperfection. And then, of course, you discover that there is no imperfection, there is no problems, there is no unsatisfactoriness. There's just essentially what might be called <coughs> unending weirdness. <laughs> and um, this is the condition. This is the soul condition. This is your condition. This is what you are and what your universe is. And, um, you know, it's important to understand, it's important to come to see that this can be seen with absolute clarity and absolute self-verifying um, revelation. It's, it's, it's not a vague or subtle or philosophical notion that one needs to aspire to or, or, uh, or maintain or try to come to educate oneself in. On the contrary, this, what this is is in completely what it is absolutely revealed, completely obvious, and that it is inconceivable and completely beyond <laughs> um, conception and resolution is blatantly obvious. <laughs> and as one comes to see uh, what anything is and sees the, the incredible absurdity of one's notions of what things are, one becomes free of those notions as as being relevant. They may they may or may not disappear, <laughs> because the mind is a unending fountain of perversion. 
<laughs> but um, it becomes irrelevant, you know, when it comes to see that this, what this is is completely beyond anything that can be thought. And so all of these thoughts about it, all these feelings about it that, 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 are, that are assessments of ourselves, our assessments of our life, our assessments of our status, our assessments of, you know, whether we're happy or sad and everything are based on, um, are completely absurd, completely essentially um, irrelevant and non-existent. In effect, when one, as one comes to see what this is, the effect is one of relaxing, <coughs> um, of letting go into it, um, rather than ascending to some superior condition or something. On the contrary, it was a condition of relaxation, non-resistance. Again, but it's not some simulated relaxation or simulated non-resistance that one aspires to or attempts to create. On the contrary, when one sees what this is, the relaxation and the non-resistance is implicit because there's nothing to <laughs> there's nothing to not relax into. There's nothing to, to try to tense against, and uh, <laughs> so on. <laughs> so simply seeing, simply seeing is absolutely sufficient, um, and. It happens that what this is is of a is of a nature that uh, it <laughs> discovering what it is reveals um, sufficiency and 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 beauty and joy beyond your wildest fantasies. The only fact is the appearance of apparent experiential patterns, um, apparent forms. Of course, as humans, we're used to classifying all of these apparent forms in various ways as self and other and beings and objects and, you know, dreams and emotion and um, light and, I mean, you know, any, take out a dictionary and pull out all the words and every one of them is a classification of some supposed class of the way these experiential patternings can seem to appear. <clears throat> um, but what's, aside from all of this classification, which we're all very familiar with, <clears throat> um, what's interesting is what these patterns are Intrinsically, experientially, and their 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 mode of appearing, their mode of functioning, what they what they how they appear, um, what they're made of, all these all these kinds of questions. <clears throat> Every aspect of that. So, it, all of the any all and any issue whatsoever <clears throat> is entirely about the appearance, the apparent appearance of these experiential patterns. There's no other topic that is, could be considered because there's no other there's no other quality there's no other fact that exists. <clears throat> and looking at these apparent experiential patterns, um, one discovers that they have some very interesting properties that are not usually taken into account 
in, in our normal classification scheme. Um, some of these include um, unresolvability. In other words, you cannot precisely pin down what any apparent pattern actually is, the way it is, what the actual pattern is precisely. Um, um, also, the patterns have no duration. They have, they actually, they actually, uh, they seem to be appearing, but they have absolutely no time whatsoever that they are any particular way. They're continually morphing um, into apparent otherness <coughs> eternally. And most, and one of the most interesting characteristics is that <coughs> the. Patterns themselves, um, well, this is one, this is a subtle aspect to talk about. Um, the patterns themselves appear within being, within actuality, or you could say within or out of or consisting of actuality, consisting of this presence that is here. Um, you, you, you certainly know that I, I refer to this, this fundamental actuality as radiant presence. This presence refers to, obviously, what this presence, this, this isness, this being, that, 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 that this undeniably is actual, whatever that <laughs> means. <coughs> and this actual... <coughs> It's the nature of this actuality to continually um, present as these apparent patternings. The patternings arise within this actuality, exist solely within this actuality to the extent they do exist, and of course continually disappear within this actuality, continually morph within this actuality, and are made of nothing other than the actuality itself. In other words, it's not like there's an actuality here and then patterns are somehow appearing over here as a result of it. But the patterns are the, the actuality very much in the same way that uh, a, a, the, the contents and apparent objects and events of a dream are the dreaming. The dreaming is interpreted as consisting of, oh, I'm in this world and various things are happening and so on and so forth. But actually all of these, all of this supposed event, all of the supposed complexity and interrelationship of these supposed pattern entities um, is nothing other than dreaming itself. So the only thing actually there is dreaming um, in spite of the fact of all of this seeming complexity appearing. And in precisely the same way, the only thing that's here is the radiant presence, is the presence itself, which by its very nature presents itself to itself as all of this apparent intricate, infinitely intricate um, and unresolvable patterning um, that is uh, unceasing <laughs> and eternal beyond space and time, and yet it appears seemingly perhaps as space and time can be interpreted as consisting of that. But of course, none of those um, qualities can actually be found, just as no quality whatsoever can actually be found, um, which is, um, more evidence of the intrinsic unresolvability of this that is here, of, of what this actually is. It's a very strange condition. Of course, we're all very familiar with it. We may not be used to noticing how strange it is, 
because there's all of this completely obvious experiential qualities and characteristics continually appearing, and yet none of them can be precisely pinned down as to exactly what they are, exactly how they are. Um, and we're, we're expert and used to glossing over that and just, just assuming that, well, it's there, you know, my shirt's blue. Who cares if I can't pin down that it's blue? It is blue. It's obviously blue, so move on, you know. Then do you like it? Do you not? Do you want to buy it? You know, what, whatever. <laughs> um, but all of these normal human concerns skip over the very interesting properties of these apparitional patterns, which in fact are the sole thing that's actually here. Objects are, uh, a hi are hypothetical. Objects are a supposition. I can suppose that this is a computer that is, that is sitting here on my lap, but in fact all it is is a, is a, is a pattern appearing in light, a pattern appearing in, in the field of touch, where, where, it's, where what I call it sits on my legs is appearing, and so on and so forth. So all of this theoretical projection of these patterns as being actual is imaginary, whereas the patterns themselves are not imaginary in, a simple, in any simple sense. <clears throat> the patterns themselves are actual. Radiant presence is actual. And nothing else is actual whatsoever. The, 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 the facility of being able to project on the basis of these apparent patterns all of the, and populate all of, this, all of the details of the world we imagine we, ex we exist in, and objectivity and objects and other beings and our own being and our own body and our own personality. <clears throat> all of this is intrinsic in simply this root, this basic fact, this sole fact, of radiant presence, the sole fact of actuality appearing intrinsically as an infinite degree of patterning. <clears throat> so the, the imagination is just more patterning. Interpretation is just more patterning. You know, personality and emotions and reactivity is just more patterning. All of this is nothing other than the root fact, and, and then it's interpreted as if all of these nuances exist in their own right and exist autonomously and interact causally um, and, and complexly with each other, <coughs> all of which is pure fantasy, which is itself radiant presence. <laughs> so nothing departs from, nothing adds to this fundamental fact of radiant presence and all the apparent complexity uh, out of which we construct our, our seeming lives is nothing other than this root fact. So, of course, spirituality um, is the discovery of and the noticing of and the exploration of this root fact because, of course, there's nothing else to discover or explore. In talking about spirituality, there's really no point in talking about um, what it is, what reality is, what the goal is, so to speak, what the finish line is, what the completeness is, because it cannot be talked about, and it's also already the case, and, and there's no need to understand it or talk about it. The, the, relevant, the relevant situation in spirituality is the problem, um, which essentially consists of misinformation. 
And it's not a matter of substituting correct information for misinformation. It's a matter of removing the misinformation because, it, as it happens, reality itself is its own information which cannot be communicated secondhand. It cannot be communicated through symbols or through words. So, it, and it need not be communicated because it is already completely revealed immediately and imminently um, in the simple presence of your being. <coughs> and the only thing that can blind you to the fact of this astounding revelation is um, absorption and being caught up in misinformation, which is unfortunately seems to be the typical human condition. Um, um, humans seem to be largely brainwashed by uh, various consensus reality worldviews, which are which are inculcated by you know the upbringing and by the structure of language and by um, reinforcement through through being continually bombarded with social information that seems to be self-reinforcing of this worldview. <coughs> um, so it's. Um, it's really a, it's essentially an issue of brainwashing. It's an issue of having been having been convinced that things are a certain way, and then one is stuck with the implication of that way that is being held to be true. If things were that way, then the implications are such such and such, which implies various problems and difficulties and issues, and uh, and here we are, and this is more or less. A, a, perhaps the typical um, human perspective, the typical human uh, frame of reference of what seems to be happening and what one feels one is, what one feels one life, one's life is, and what one feels one's environment is. <coughs> um, and um, consensus reality is astoundingly and completely and utterly wrong. It's inaccurate. It's just not true. Um, and one of the one of the obstacles to to um, clearly seeing what this is is how divergent what this is is from consensus reality. So in most cases, if someone tells someone else how it is. No, they won't believe it. They go, "You're kidding me!" You know, can't that. This is absurd. That's like, that's like, you know, it's way. That's beyond Easter Bunny and Santa Claus all in one. You know, I mean, it's it makes, um, you know, it makes it makes religious stories and miracles look look commonplace <laughs> compared to what's what is actually occurring. Here. <clears throat> so there's a there's a one has to come to see. For oneself, one has to discover um, directly um, through investigation of one's own, or whether it, through investigation or through stumbling upon through some kind of a process of direct revelation, um, what one actually is, what one's being actually is, um, which of course conveys its own, itself verifyingly reveals its own nature and self-verifyingly, of course, conveys its own implication. 
which constitutes what has been called liberation, realization, enlightenment, all these wonderful, glorious sounding terms that, that um, have been put forth in various spiritual traditions. <coughs> which simply is the implication of the actual condition, the implication of reality itself, not some reality in capital letters that's out there somewhere that you fight your way to, but this reality that is, the sole reality, the only reality that ever has been. <coughs> um, so the issue is not finding reality, the issue is letting go of unreality, dispelling misinformation, you know, convincing and relatively, um, seemingly relatively internally consistent misinformation um, that, that um, we've all been brainwashed. So it's rather, it's rather analogous to being, uh, to deprogramming someone who's been in a cult or something, I imagine. <laughs> you know, we've, we've all been, we're all, you know, um, uh, yeah, we're all, we're all, you know, uh, complicit and completely mindless members of the cult of consensus reality. And we don't know it. We think that's reality. We think that's how it is. <coughs> and um, so it's a challenge to, to, to perceive because if you already think that's the way it is, what do you do about it? If someone tells you it's not that way, you say, you're wrong. It's absurd. You're crazy. It's like this, and of course it's like this, because I know it's like this, and everyone I know knows it's like this, so it's like this. So you're nuts, because you're telling me it's not. Um, but fortunately, it's not a matter of tit-for-tat. It's not a matter of hearsay. Um, one can look at directly at the nature of one's own experience, which clearly reveals its nature. Um, it's not hidden, it's not concealed in, 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 in any degree whatsoever. But typically we don't bother to. Typically we sort of take that for granted and skim over it and go right to the interpretation, go right to our narrative or our story of what's going on. And uh, we're off and running and then life sucks and what are you going to do? <coughs> so that's the nature of the problem. Um, the nature of the solution, as I said, is actually fairly simple, but it's also challenging, um, not because it itself is difficult, but because of the profound and subtle and deeply rooted entrenchment in misunderstanding that we've all been conditioned into. <coughs> and so this... Uh, and again, the, the, the radical difference between the actual nature and, and the, 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 um, the brainwashed mindset, that they're so, they're so, they're so completely um, contrary that uh, it, it, um, it, it, it's one, you know, the initial reaction is always like, no, it can't be like that. That's wrong. It couldn't be that. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm often, I'm, I'm fantasizing. So then you, you know, you look for something else, and so one undermines one's own efforts simply through disbelief in, you know, 
you know, because as, as one does an investigation, there's a kind of a tendency to check up on how one's doing with, with reference to what one already knows. And th this, is, this, is, this is contrary to this very process, to the very nature of this, because what one's investigating, um, one is so utterly contrary to what one already knows that any kind of a trying to, trying to, to check out the course of the investigation with reference to what one already knows is going to clear the deal. It's going to raise all sorts of complications and confusions um, that are unnecessary because there is utter confusion and complication with regard to comparison between actual, the actual nature and consensus reality worldview because they're completely divergent. They're completely contrary. In fact, in many ways, it's, it's really, it's kind of amusing um, to look at sort of uh, in the abstract. In many ways, the con a consensus reality worldview is just about 180 degrees contrary from, actual, from the actual condition, which is, which is interesting to me. It's very peculiar that it happens to be that way. Um, pretty much point for point. <laughs> um, For example, reading a little ahead of ourselves, but it's kind of fun. For example, in consensus reality worldview, you're a small person. You know, you're well. You're not even a small person. You're worse than that. You're a, you're a, a tiny little ephemeral spark of consciousness. It's a byproduct of some chemical electrical reactions in your central nervous system. That is an outgrowth of your body which is a very, this tiny, small, vulnerable biological system running around this vast environment which is basically out to eat it or kill it or crush it. Um, so what you are as a perspective is, is, is virtually nothing uh, dependent upon all of these subsystems and subsystems and subsystems which, which are progressively, you know, which are small and small and small when they're near you and vulnerable when they're near you and get vast and threatening when they go out. So there's a small little person in this vast world that is not you, that is more or less antagonistic to you, or at least potentially problematic, um, uh, and, the, and the actuality is completely the opposite. As a matter of fact, you are vast, you are everything, and the world is a small thing that appears in you. You know, it's pretty much opposite, pretty much opposite. And, you know, to say it like that to someone who thinks consensus reality is like, oh, that, that's nuts. <laughs> what do you mean? The world is in me. I'm bigger than the world. This is all my, you know, this is all my experience here. <laughs> um, uh, so, um, the, you know, I guess uh, in, in practice, the interesting question is, so what do you do about that? How, how can one go about investigating Discovering the true information, discovering the nature of what is actually here and how it actually is that way, um, which discovery will, by its very nature, invalidate one's wrong worldview and reveal one's correct situation, which, um, as it happens, will address and solve all the problems that are raised by the erroneous implications of your in, inaccurate worldview that you've been brainwashed in. So how, how does one do that? Well, um, it's really quite simple. 
look at your actual experience. Look at what your experience is, what it is um, mechanically, what it is um, existentially, um, what, just what is happening right here, right now, and the way in which it's happening. <coughs> and um, the texture of it, the, its presence, its, um, its spontaneity, the fact that the present moment, all conditions in the present moment appear completely um, spontaneously in the instant without any manipulation or process or structure. Just, you know, right now everything is present exactly as it is. It doesn't need to second-guess itself or ramp itself up or work itself up to doing that. Just, bang, just instantaneous flash of hearingness, everything completely. Things that you're used to qualifying as objective, here. Things that you're used to qualifying as subjective, whatever light you happen to be seeing in this instant is present with exactly the same spontaneity as whatever thought you happen to think at the moment, whatever emotion you happen to be feeling at the moment, whatever sense of touch you happen to be feeling at the moment. All, everything appears instantaneously, completely, um, uh, in the moment without any process and with absolute intimacy. And you can also notice that there is a literally infinite, you could say, bandwidth of different textures present. There's what we think of as light present with different degrees of color, different degrees of brightness. There's sound present with different degrees of frequency, different degrees of volume, and so on and so forth. There's touch present with all of its various um, ranges of difference. There's thought presence with all of its infinite ranges of difference, emotion present, you know. And then um, if you look, you'll notice that there is also a, a, a virtually limitless, unacknowledged range of other experience present, extrasensory type experience, vibes and nuances, things that we can't, we don't have language for or words for. Um, in the human language because it's not part of the human game structure. You can't talk about it, so it doesn't exist in terms of what you can talk about. It's too, it's too um, ephemeral, it's too uh, insubstantial, it's too instantaneous. Um, people that do a lot of meditation become very aware of this because there's, you know, all of this clearly experiential event and qualities present that one cannot describe. You know, it's not thought in a simple sense of, oh, I'm thinking about such and such. You know, it's not, it's, it's extrasensory information, it's information that's not experiential actuality that is not qualifiable within one of the sense groups or within mind, as we ordinarily put it. And this takes up actually the lion's share of, of experience if one's taking an inventory. Um, uh, we've become you know, very aware of this quality, these qualities of experience. For example, when we're falling asleep, you know, the, the awareness of the external environment fades, the sensory awareness fades, but your experience doesn't diminish. It's not like it becomes less. On the contrary, it just sort of opens into more and more of this sort of um, more ephemeral, less 
form-oriented um, flavors, qualities. You know, again, language fails. But, but the experience is completely accessible and, in fact, completely obvious once one tunes into it, notices that it's actually there. And, and so all, all of these ranges of experience are always present now, in the instant. Whether you're awake, whether you're asleep, whatever, whatever um, state you, you're, you qualify yourself as being in, the, the continuum of your experiential field and all of its information is always full on. Nothing gets less, nothing gets more. If you close your eyes, you, you just know less, there's no less light present in the field of vision. It just has a different character. All of a sudden, it's, it, changes, it changes from all this color and apparent you know, sharp differentiated patterns to, to apparent little flickerings and patterns and speckles and you know, literally countless, infinite little tiny flickers that form various patterns. But, you know, we're all very familiar with this. You close your eyes and hang out with it for a few minutes and you'll see what you see. It's not, it's, you know, it's completely obvious. But there's not any less information present when you close your eyes than when you open them. It just changes. You know, you go to sleep, there's not any less information present. All the bandwidths of experience are full. It's just the emphasis changes in terms of, of um, what seems to be um, up front and center, so to speak. You know, you go into a dream and, and, the, and the, the, there's no more or less information present. Again, the emphasis just changes and shifts around and, and juggles itself um, very fluidly, very spontaneously. <coughs> so that's, so just looking at the presence of experience, one can discover very quickly this, this nature, this fact of this, this full field that is literally infinitely differentiated with information. Another interesting quality of the field of experience is that it is, it's literally infinitely differentiated. If you take any point within the field, think, thought of, thinking of it spatially, it, what's, what's the information that's present in that point is unique and different from any other information presented anywhere else in the field. In other words, for example, in your visual field, anything you see at one point, you see that only there and everywhere else in, within the visual field is different. Not only that, but that point is different in the next instant because it all is continuously morphing and changing. Perhaps subtly, perhaps not so subtly, depending. Like if you're looking out the window of a bullet train, things are changing very, very rapidly and very obviously. If you're sitting alone quietly, not moving in a, in a still room, you know, you can think of it as nothing is changing, but in fact, if you look at your experience, it's continually changing and fluctuating and breathing and pulsing. You know, perhaps in, in, in relatively gentle, subtle ways in all this, but this, this intrinsic dynamism is discoverable because it's always true across the board. So, so your entire experience is infinitely differentiated within itself. It's infinitely differentiated it, um, as it, in, in the instant. In other words, what appears in the instant appears only then. It's never appeared before. It's never going to appear again. For example, what you're seeing right now, you've never seen before. Exactly. And you're never going to see it again. It's already gone. 
it's, it's bang, it just may as well never have happened as far as any residue goes. <clears throat> um, and this is true across the board. You know, you can, you can classify sub, subfields of experience, like your visual field of experience or your auditory, you know, the field of hearing, the field of thought, and you'll discover these same phenomena within all of these fields um, absolutely consistently. Um, another, another thing you discover if you look is that these divisions of the, of the total experiential field into these subcategories is basically arbitrary. Um, there's no boundary between vision and hearing and thought and touch. They're, they're not, they're, they're, they're intuitively and immediately obvious to differentiate, but in actual fact, you cannot, they're all, they're all essentially the same thing working in essentially the same way. They're all the presence of these instantaneous sparkles of texture. And they, they become classified according to the, the nature of that texture. So light has a particular texture that, that you can obviously and immediately differentiate, oh, this is light, so, I'm, so I must be seeing. And sound has a different texture. So sound, you can tell sound from light because of the difference of the light texture versus the sound texture. Or you can think of it as frequency or, I mean, who knows what. Um, but if you look closely at the way light works, the way sound works, in terms of what it feels like in the instant, you'll, you'll discover you're looking at the same thing, just sort of with a slight, a slight, um, uh, a slight different emphasis, a slight different frequency or different texture, difference of texture. But the dynamism is exactly the same, the apparition is exactly the same, the differentiation is exactly the same, and ultimately it's, it becomes pretty arbitrary to distinguish them, except for this spectrum of range of, of, um, of textural difference that is found all along um, the experiential field. Or you go to the field of thought, for example, which is obviously more tenuous or more subtle or delicate than, than the textures of any of the sense fields. But again, if, if you look closely, you find exactly the same thing. It, it has, it basically presents as in a similar way as infinitely differentiated within itself, um, instantaneous, non-repeating, so on and so forth. So again, it's just a range of textures. So it's kind of like a spectrum, you know. You can look at a rainbow and you see all the colors laid out. And you can clearly see, oh, that's green and that's red and the red's not green, the green's not red. But they're all light. It's basically a continuum of the same thing that it's presenting with this different way. And, you know, with this different um, apparent bandwidths. And likewise, if you look at experience, if you look at the textures, the way, the dynamism, the, the intimate immediacy of the way experience happens, you can notice that the different sense fields are very similar. It's all essentially the same thing appearing um, with, you know, um, apparent textual differentiations. They're differentiable according to these textures, but it's all a continuum of the same thing appearing in the same way. You know, and this is not something to hold philosophical here to aspire to or something, but simply look and see for yourself and explore and check it out. 
check out the nature of your experience and see the way this is so. Um, and in the, as one as one sits in this explanation, in this exploration, and, and plays with it, um, you discover some other interesting things. You discover that not only is differentiation between the sense fields arbitrary and basically imaginary, but differentiation in terms of other parameters is also arbitrary and essentially imaginary. For example, subjective and objective cannot actually be found. You know, thought appears exactly the same way as vision or touch of something supposedly objective appears, and the discriminating that one is being subjective and one is being objective, if you look at it, you'll discover there's no basis in the actual experiencing for this differentiation. So the differentiation is imposed basically in imagination. Um, also, one discovers some other, you know, other classifications that turn out to be very arbitrary. For example, um, uh, let's say uh, spontaneity versus um, versus intentionality. So I can say, well, I can move my hand, and I'm, you know, it feels like I'm doing that. I'm intending to move my hand, you know. But if I look very, very closely at the actuality of that apparition, it spontaneously appears in exactly the same way as, say, the shape of that chair spontaneously appears. And I think of myself as not, I'm not doing that chair, but I am doing, moving my hand. But if I look very intimately at the actual instant of experiencing of the moving of the hand, the presence of the experience of the chair, the presence of the experience of so-called intentionality or thought about it or whatever, all of that just appears in experience. Um, for there to be any kind of actual intentionality, I would have to have the intention to have the intention. If having an intention just appears, then I didn't, I'm not actually doing it. It feels like an intentionality, but if it just appears, then whatever's doing the appearing is what did it, not me. And then again, of course, it gets more subtle. You go down a rabbit hole. I go looking for some supposed me that is doing it or not doing it, and nothing like that can be found. You know, because in this actual immediacy of experiential presence, where's me? You know? It's not, you know, it's not that it's not me. Um, if anything, maybe it's all me. But qualifying it, me, qualifying it in terms of meanness or not meanness, this just seems arbitrary and absurd. It just is. You know, it is. It's actual. And you know, if it's me, okay, I am. I'm actual. You know, if it's if it's you know. Light, okay, light is, light's actual. If it's this chair, okay, this chair is, this chair is actual. But all of these subclassifications are just throwing different names on the same present actuality of the experiential field. Um, it's like, it's like I can say, you know, this, 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 these are, this is my left hand, this is my both hands, this is my arms, this is my body, these are my legs, this is my toe, this is my big toe, this is my big toenail. What changed? I was just words. 
you know, pointing to apparent differences in a continuum of wholeness that is just present. It, you know, it's not like everything else disappears and my hand appears when I say my hand. So I say this chair, you know, the chair hasn't been actually created as a separate thing by, by describing it and naming it and, saying, and claiming that it has. I can't find a chair. All I can find is all of this. And the chair comes with. You know, the hands come with. There's just a continuum and all of these things that we think of as subclassifications are just designations. It's like taking a picture that you've never seen before and the picture just appears. The picture is a picture. And then you can look at the picture and say, oh, look, that's, you know, that's this and that's that and that's this and that's that and that's this in the picture. And it's a picture of my Uncle Joe and look, he's standing next to the old car we had back then and look, there's our dog. And it's like, no, it's just a picture. The only thing that's there is the picture. And all of these designations are just imaginary um, subcategorizations of a continuum. And it, when you designate a subcategory, you haven't actually created a separation. You know, you don't actually, it doesn't actually, I can't take this chair and lift it out of my experience and have a chair here. All that's here is my experience. And the chair is just a designation, a claim, it's a spin-doctored designation of, of something that is claimed to be there. But the chair isn't very stable. Every time I blink, it disappears. You know, I leave the room, it disappears. You know, all of these subcategorizations are not reliable. They come and go. There's one thing that does not come and go, and that's the experiential field itself, actuality itself. And again, this isn't theoretical, just, you know, look at your own experience, and this is, you know, it becomes very, very clearly obvious that uh, it is this way. <clears throat> So, um, that's just, you know, sort of a very um, small poking at some of the aspects of this great matter that we're here to investigate. Um, and uh, it, it can be gone into in great depth and in enormous detail, uh, which I invite you to uh, engage in me in, in doing. Um, but it's it's really just one issue. It's it's so so simple. Um, we overcomplicate it by trying to by trying to deconstruct it, when there's nothing to deconstruct. Um, the simple fact is, it's a reality check. Look and see what's real. Look and see what's here. And if you look and see what's here, you ultimately will not be able to find anything other than the presence of your experiential field. Period. And trying to add to that, that, oh, it's experience of this or of that, Will, turn, will reveal itself to be basically just imaginary activity within your experiential field, so it doesn't actually add to anything. It's just, it's just 
seemingly internal elaborations and vortices within this soul presence that, that exists. Um, this is completely obvious. We know every, every, every small child, every baby knows this. There's nothing present but this. <laughs> wow! Here it is. <laughs> you know, and, but, you know, in the course of being raised, you know, of course, we're all brainwashed in. You know, oh, I'm mommy. This is daddy. You know, this is your, your little you. And this is this and this is that. And I thought, oh, really? Oh. And at first, of course, the baby is just like, oh. You know, it doesn't take. But eventually, just through sufficient repetition, you know, um, we get sucked in. We get caught up in this, you know, we're taught referential language. And we get caught up in the semantic spider web of the 10,000 things that, you know, you read a dictionary and every word in the dictionary is different. And, and so they each are about something that's, that's not anything else, right? Each one is it and not, you know, not any of the others. So this word means, dog means dog, and all the other words mean something else that is non-dog. And so we, sort of, we have this, this vast, confusing world where all of these, all of these, billions of subcategorizations and what the hell are they and how do they fit together and I don't know and it all doesn't make any sense you know but it's all been um, created through semantic structure it's all spin doctored into existence because the only thing actually present is the experiential feeling <clears throat> anyway um, that's the that's the uh, the backbone <laughs> of uh, of this issue, and I will be glad to um, discuss it with you. In terms of one's own exploration of this, um, it's very important to uh, engage in it um, honestly and personally. So be with it um, in terms of what it actually is for you in the moment and explore issues that come up for you in the moment rather than approaching it sort of philosophically in third person and discussing it as, a, as if it was an impersonal, um, impersonal principles or something. Because it doesn't matter. All that really matters is what it is to you. <laughs> it's not anything <laughs> out there as far as, you know, as far as uh, you're concerned. <clears throat> So, sorry. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So I notice, speaking of making it personal, you begin to talk, and I'm thrilled to be here. Had a little chocolate on the way here, which kind of has me off. You know, the mind's going. Yeah. I don't do caffeine, but I do chocolate. Um, you, if you do chocolate, you do caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, <laughs> so you you begin to talk. Um, <coughs> loving what you're saying or relating to it and then the mind goes squirrel and it goes off to oh what about like going to see Peter in California and then like oh artwork you know what about the artwork at the other house and then you know I'm noticing that sort of bifurcated um, attention like the mind just is kind of all over the place the thoughts really want to waylay what's going on here and I notice that happens a lot in regular life can you speak to that process of yes Yes. Sidetracking. Yeah. There's no sidetracking. There's nothing going on here. The waylaying is what's going on. There's no coherence. 
if you another aspect of what you'll discover if you look at the experiential field is this phenomena that is that you're indicating is there's no consistency there's no persistence you start with this and you end up over there and then you end up over there and you end up over there and and this and, and is it ever otherwise does anything other than that ever happen you know there is no stability there is no um, the nature of attention seems to generate this, spon- this spontaneous focus. Um, but the focus is absolutely inconsistent and absolutely dynamic. <coughs> so you start off, you know, you're looking at this, or we're talking about this, or we're thinking about this, and right away, you're, right away, you're like, you know, it's like there's a, there's a drunken cameraman who's like continually... Uh, <laughs> And yeah, it's like that, isn't it? There's no coherence, you know. And and again, you know, because of the consensus reality of brainwashing, we're all thinking, no, there is coherence here. The uh, incoherence is my fault. I'm supplying the incoherence to a coherence that is here, so it's my error. Mm-hmm. Wrong. The incoherence that is here is the objective fact. There is no coherence that you're missing, or that you're that is, you know, that is um, actual that is actual and an objective, as opposed to your failing, you know, um, drifting around of your of your awareness. Yeah, th- there's no there's you know coherence is another is a myth is a is a consensus reality myth. There's no there's nothing particular happening here. There's no core or structure to what's happening here. It's all just slippery nothingness that instantly morphs into something else and that has never been, and it's just off and running continually. And it's not off and running from something. There's nothing to be off and running from. Off and running is what there is. I mean, sort of. My my initial answer is definitely yes, but I want to be sure I understand what you're actually asking. Well, <coughs> sort of like it appears like noticing is leads somewhere, but regardless, <coughs> it just appears that way. And yeah. 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 You know, I mean, I have you know, I have and um, posited this thing of noticing, which basically just means, well, pay attention to what's happening here as it actually is, um, outside of or, or, you know, without strict regard to your preconceptions of what you're used to thinking it is. So just be with the presence of your experience, you know, being a little bit loose about what you think you're experiencing or what you think is happening, um, which I call noticing. Um, And it's it's definitely a trick. It's definitely it's basically a lie, because um, noticing is a trick to discover that in fact you're always doing nothing but, because the very nature of experience is this is paying attention to itself, 
and its, its nature is this, you know, this spontaneous drift, this weird free-floating. Um, but at the same time, it's meaningful and valid to call it noticing because there is this peculiar phenomena that can seem to happen of a fantasy of orientation, a fantasy of there is something here that I'm supposed to be paying attention to, and even though I'm failing, it's there and I'm supposed to be doing it, and that's, and that's basically um, how delusion happens. That's basically how, um, how, we get, how we get caught up in suffering, how we get caught up in, in um, uh, thinking things are a certain way, and then since they are a certain way, we have to do something about it. I have to do something about it, and since I have to do something about it, and I'm fucking up, I'm a failure, and bang, 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 what am I going to do? And basically, you're off and running with, you know, human hell. Um, so noticing is. So you can have like look at ADHD, it still wouldn't matter. Oh. Some people out there will say like that it will prevent you from. No, no, nothing prevents anything from anything. In <laughs> fact, ADHD may be an advantage. <laughs> <laughs> ADHD it may just be a euphemism for honesty. <laughs> no, I have great focus and I'm on top of everything and I'm super functional. <laughs> and I'm a great bullshitter, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> well, it seems like even if you did, right, even that's where your attention would be. Sure. So that's where your attention would be. Right. So what you're not focusing on doesn't necessarily exist right. when you're focusing on it. Right. Yeah. Except to notice that when you're focusing on something, there's not really a something. Yeah. Because, because again, because the focus is a spontaneous drift. Yeah. And yet somehow we can still think there is a something even though there's this drift and that's the, that's the, but that's what noticing is supposed to be an antidote to. Mm -hmm. Is to notice that, that this, that this carrot on a string of, of, things are a certain way and I'm supposed to get with the program and do something about that even though I'm a fuck up and I kind of am not very great at doing that. You know, that bang, that, that, that is, there's a tendency within experience, within consciousness for that structure to seem to erect itself. Um, and it bootstraps itself up out of nothing and it has no evidence to support it because again, the fact is, if things are a certain way, the actuality is, my experience is actually never that way, but it's supposed to be, and then all of a sudden you have all the problematic implications of that. Is there a relationship between like a karmic signature and realization? Um, let me know a little more about what you mean by that. I'm not that. sure. <laughs> no, that's okay. It's, a, it's actually a very good question. I just want to just put it in other terms. And, and well, I'm not even sure what a karmic signature is, but I guess it's a... Well, it's a very, very interesting issue, though. It's a very interesting issue. Karma is very peculiar and very strange. Um, you know, the way I put, the way I look at karma, it is the fact that there seems to be, even though there's no absolute coherence to the patterns that appear in experience, there kind of seems to be. Mm -hmm. Things kind of seem to be a certain way, and they kind of seem to be a certain way, more or less, with some kind of vague degree of consistency, um, and for me, and for you, things just seem to be however they seem to be, and it seems to be with a certain kind of consistency. Even though you never experience the same thing twice, 
yet you seem to have the experience that you call going home, which seems to happen repeatedly, and you end up in a place that's, even though your experience of going there is different every time, it still seems to be kind of similar than it was, you know, when I go home, when I go home, when I get home, it's going to be kind of like when I was there the last time, even though it's actually completely different, but still it's kind of the same. So this kind of the sameness that sort of permeates, you know, this is a room, you know, obviously my experience of this has never happened before. Everything I'm experiencing now is unique, but I can say, well, yeah, I've been, I've, I've been in this room before. I've been in this environment which is kind of like this. You know, so what's up with that? How does it work that there's absolute non-repetition and yet there's this kind of pseudo-seeming repetition of these patterns that sort of seem to sort of almost recur or echo each other and, and this, you know, these plot lines and, and functionalities and life stories that seem to you know, almost recur. And, and again, th this is a question that cannot be answered, but it's a very, very interesting issue. Um, and this has a lot to do with realization in the sense that um, what's powerful um, for realization is to see that these patterns are like, um, well, I'm trying to think of an analogy that is going to be accessible. The analogy that comes to me is they're like standing waves in a, in a dynamic system, but that's, but I'm a, I'm a technical person, so that might not <laughs> resonate for you. Um, it's like, uh, <clears throat> The, the seeming coherence of the, of the patterns that seem to occur, that seem to recur, and seem to have some degree of consistency, the, the powerful fact about them is that they're not actually that way. They seem to be that way, and it's not a matter of denying that they seem to be that way, but they aren't actually that way. It's a lot like, it's a lot like looking at the specifics of experience, getting very precise with your experience. For example, um, uh, it's just difficult to find a clear example. Uh, as, okay, as, as people, normal human functioning, we're encouraged to notice and emphasize the similarities. And we're encouraged to gloss over and and not and not notice and to sort of downplay and ignore the differences. Um, now, the differences are absolute because you never actually experience the same thing twice. But but the bias for 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 normal human functioning is exactly the opposite. We gloss over the differences which are absolute and go to the similarities which are very general. Um, in other words, um, you know, um, this is a this is a recorder which I've owned for a year or so, and I every time I do a talk, which I have it out. So the the similarity is that this is this is the same recorder, and I've had it for for a year, and I've seen it, you know, hundreds of times from hundreds of angles and blah, blah, blah. So that's a story that emphasizes, that's a normal human story. You know, you say, hey, what's that? And I say, oh, that's my recorder. You know, I've had it for a year, blah, blah, blah. So that's the normal 
human orientation which emphasizes the similarities. But the actuality, the differences, is that even though all of that is true in a weak sense, in a stronger sense, um, my experience of this right now is unique. I have never, ever seen this before exactly like this, in this light from this angle with exactly this color and lumin lumin luminescence and so on. So it's a unique, so the, the, the undeniable, immediate, objective fact of the actual experience of this is uniqueness as, a, as contrasted with the weaker sense of, of, yeah, but it's my recorder and I've, and I've seen it, you know, the, the normal, the normal karmic story, the normal story which emphasizes the sameness and the persistence through time and the persistence over the course of one's experience. Um, so it's a matter of prioritizing, of, of being really honest and clear um, about what is spin doctrine and what isn't. The differences of experience are not spin doctrine. They're undeniably, objectively, experientially true. It's discoverable that it's like that. Whereas the similarity is more general claim. It's more vague. You know, it's my recorder. It looks pretty much the same every time I look at it. You know, all of that is argument. The uniqueness and the difference is not argument. It's nonverbal, undeniable revelation. So it's more unique than nonverbal. Yes. There is no repetition. There is zero repetition in experience. You never experience the same thing twice. It cannot be done. And you never even experience the same thing once. <laughs> if you look very closer, because of how instantaneously fast experience is. What is this that is here? What is this that's happening? This is the big question, not just for spirituality, but for science, for sociology for everything. I mean, you know, what's going on here? What is this? As a human being is born into the world and there's no manual. You know, all there is is hearsay, which your parents and society teaches you, and who exactly taught them, their parents and society. I mean, where, does it begin with some authority back there? Is there some benchmark of actuality that, that all of this hearsay, you know, all of this, this, uh, this, this narrative of what this is what you are um, starts from or begins with it's reliable it's sort of like uh, it's like playing like children playing telephone you know the game telephone where you whisper something into someone's ear and they whisper it to someone's ear and you do this you know 10 or 20 times and it's amazing how distorted the end result ends up being by the time you, you hear what it is and in this case what is exactly is the beginning? I mean, you know, did the Australopithecus, were they the ones that had the, had the real, you know, the hardcore information on what's going on here? Um, so typically, what do most people do? Most people orient to what they are, what the world is, and what to do about that more or less in terms of information that they have been given, information that they've been programmed in 
being taught by society, by their parents, and so on and so forth, by um, philosophies, by religions, and these things are generally more or less um, not particularly called into account by most people. Most people just sort of go along, go along with the game, go along with the pre-existing arrangement, you know, and um, <clears throat> but by and large that approach to things tends to be rather unsatisfying there, there as Buddha observed uh, life is suffering life is difficult life is frustrating intrinsically because you, you don't always get what you want <laughs> and even if you do get what you want you lose it and you get some, even if you live a charmed life and you get what you want and everything's lovely sooner or later you get sick and old and die and then you lose everything and so the entire thing is sort of fraught with its own shelf life it's fraught with its own expiration date that um, can be a, a little perplexing a little annoying I mean uh, you know in, in modern western society most of us have a, a deep-seated fear of death of our own personal annihilation that we more or less are in denial of either by not talking about it or not thinking about it or absorbing ourselves in all sorts of other activities <coughs> for example but it happens that what this is is of course precisely what it is um, and what this is uh, is doing you. You are an outgrowth of what this is. You know, where else? Where else did you come from? You want something artificial that was grafted in from some other reality and, and planted here. You know, you are you are an outgrowth of this. So what this is is what you are. What you are is what this is. So because of that, you. The, the basic core nature of what you are and the basic core nature of what this is are one and the same. Um, so you have the ability to know this and to know yourself simply by your own intrinsic nature, simply by your own intrinsic properties. The native intelligence, the, native, the nature of the life force, the nature of consciousness, all of these, um, you know, as we sloppily designate them, um, are principles of reality itself, are principles that are manifest in your functioning and your being, and are principles that reality is made of and consists of. So, and, and functionally, in terms of our seeming function and our seeming experience, these principles serve as an interactive bridge. We explore what we are with our intelligence, with our consciousness, with our engagement, with all of these properties that seem to show up within our experience. And this is intrinsic with experience, you know, whether or not you're even curious or on a spiritual path or, or inquisitive at all, it's natural just during the course of life to develop a spontaneous wisdom, a spontaneous maturing, um, simply through the natural um, functioning 
of this ongoing engagement of experience with phenomena, of experience with actuality. Um, spirituality is simply taking that engagement, taking that functionality to its, its, as high an efficiency as possible so that one engages with one experience very deliberately and very precisely um, <clears throat> with an eye to maximizing the efficiency and the clarity of this discovery that experience intrinsically consists of. Um, and it turns out that it is actually possible to know what this is. It is actually possible to know what you are. Self-realization, God-realization, all of these you know, exalted-sounding terms are, in fact, nothing other than coming to face to face with your own nature, with the nature of this that is here, uh, and uh, having it, that nature be displayed clearly through your identity with it. You are it, so of course you can know it. You can, of course you can see it. It is not hidden or concealed. On the, on the contrary, it's very explicit. The main impediment to the discovery of this nature that is here is, is twofold. On the one hand, what is here is extremely subtle and extremely strange and extremely nonlinear. Um, so there's a learning curve of sensitivity of being able to assimilate it as it is <coughs> uh, that um, vastly exceeds human norms. <laughs> um, on the one hand. And on the other hand, most people think they already know what this is. So. You, you know, the, the, one of the major difficulties or challenges in this kind of investigation is one's own programming, one's own, um, uh, well, one's own nature and temperament in the first place, but then secondarily, um, the programming and the, the belief systems that we've all been indoctrinated in that typically we hold unconsciously so we don't even know that they're belief systems. We think they're just true. <clears throat> um, so these two challenges are ever-present uh, in that one comes up against very obviously in the course of any kind of a serious engagement or serious inquiry into what this is, what you are. Fortunately, you have also an enormous asset, which is that you already are intrinsically what you're looking for. <coughs> so you have a deep intuitive knowing of your own nature and of the nature of this. Um, again, that, that knowing is so irrational and so nonlinear and so um, um, slippery by comparison with normal human categories that we usually try and approach things in terms of, um, that this, this uh, typically for most people requires a certain amount of um, playing hide and seek with oneself. <laughs> mm -hmm.
the um, the golden key in all this is the nature of experience itself. Um, typically, as humans, we're, we 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 think of our experience. Uh, take our experience for granted, think of it as transparent, and we're interested in what we're experiencing. You know, what's happening here, what's going on, what am I seeing, what am I doing, what, you know, what is the situation I'm in, and which is experiencing a supposed objective pole based on the qualities that seem to be showing up in experience. But in actual fact, of course, you are experiencing very actively. Um, experience is here. In fact, experience is verifiably the only thing that is here. You can't be certain that what you're experiencing objectively exists. This might be a dream or a hallucination. Typically, we assume it isn't because we assume there's all sorts of, we believe it isn't, and we assume there's all sorts of evidence and so on, um, that that's not the case. But if one looks very closely and one looks objectively, you can see that there's no way to verify that that this, the objective pole of experience is actually objective. You can't verify that it isn't either, but it's a question mark, it's, it's, um, it's ambiguous. <coughs> but the fact of experience itself is not ambiguous. The fact of the presence of experience is completely explicit, completely obvious. And experience, so far from being neutral and absolutely transparent as we ordinarily think of it is in fact pregnant and rich, infinitely rich with um, a nature, with qualities, qualities of intelligence, qualities of sentience, qualities of, um, um, what's the word, um, you could say uh, drawing parallels or, or looking at, you know, experiencing <laughs> patterns and experiencing similarities and dissimilarities with other patterns and, and ha having, uh, experiencing the richness of meaningfulness and richness of information that is encoded in all of these patterns. All experience presents itself as an infinite richness of patterning on every level. There's the patterning of event, there's the patterning of structure, there's the patterning of, of, um, of actual um, physics, of actual matter, of DNA, um, and all of this patterning is um, integrated with itself. The DNA, the functioning of DNA, the functioning of yourselves, the functioning of your socialization and your interfacing with other entities, the functioning of you're interfacing with the environment, and all of these are the aspects of the same pattern, aspects of the same ramifications of all of this astounding intricacy of patterning that occurs on every level. <coughs> and all of this is within and, and, and uh, consisting of experience itself. <coughs> so experience is explicit, experience is available, experience has a nature, and so by simply training in exploring the possibility of experience as an actual 
thing, an actual event, um, rather than just ignoring it as a neutral, just a you know, hypothetical, perfectly clear window you're looking through at some actual event that you're interested in, which is more the typical human mode. To look at experience itself as a positive presence, as a, a dynamic um, uh, a dynamic uh, agent. Um, it will reveal itself as that and it will begin to show you its own subtle nature, which again is perceivable because you yourself are that subtle nature. So this is not something that's foreign and outside yourself that you need to learn. On the contrary, it's something you're very, very familiar with that intuitively is of your very nature. So the recognition is possible. And discovery in spirituality is nothing more than recognition because spiritual discovery is the recognition of what is the case and has always been the case. It's not the achievement of some new condition or the achievement of some superior purified um, state or something like this. On the contrary, it's simply recognizing what this actually is, what you actually are, which happens to be absolutely transcendental, absolutely astounding. It happens to be what is referred to as God or reality or the infinite, all, you know, the Atman, all these, all these various terms that different spiritual traditions have used to indicate this superlative, this most superlative actuality. But all that's unnecessary because it, it, it doesn't need to be put on a pedestal because it already is that, it already is transcendental, it already is astounding. And it's completely normal. It's just this, it's just your everyday life. It's just the usual. It's getting out of bed in the morning and paying the bills and going to work and giving up smoking and whatever you're doing. That is what this absolute astounding transcendental nature is. <coughs> and um, this discovery is uh, the spiritual goal itself, which is nothing other than being with this as you already are, as you always have been, simply recognizing what that is. Um, there's an enormous amount of um, conflicting uh, information available in terms of what spirituality is, how it works, what to do about it, what the point of it is, and so on and so forth. Um, I will do my best to set the record straight. <coughs> there is only one thing that exists. There's only one thing here. Um, of course, this is extremely contrary to most normal modes of human thought. Um, and because most humans are busy being caught up in and indulging in modes of human thought, uh, it can be difficult to recognize this fundamental point, this fundamental condition of the one thing that exists, the one thing that is here. Um, doing so is 
the point and the essence of spirituality. <coughs> thinking in terms of drawing distinctions. This is a room, this is a floor, these are people, this is air, you know, it's all made of atoms, atoms are made of subatomic <coughs> particles, subatomic particles are made of quarks, quarks are made of something else that we haven't figured out yet, and so on and so forth. So there's all of these distinctions, all of these, this is this and that's that, and they're in supposedly some degree of relationship or not with each other. And so human, human thought, ordinarily, ordinary human conceptualization basically consists of slicing and dicing. Basically consists of drawing distinctions between things. Um, One of the implications of this style of thought is the, the philosophy or the conceptual landscape is littered, tends to be littered with all sorts of differentiated objects and conditions. And of course we're all indoctrinated in this um, innocently when we're born and raised and being taught. <coughs> So, typically we come to this hodgepodge of all of these objects and conditions and things that supposedly are around and supposedly are uniquely different from each other and everything. And we try and figure out, well, how do we fit in? You know, what, which one of these pieces are, 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 am I? Which one of the pieces am I not? And how are they, what do you do about that? And typically, you know, in, in a modern, a modern, worldview, one might suppose, oh, I am a biological system, I am this body which, has, which exists within the biosphere, um, and I have a very complex electrochemical metabolism, and one of the results of that is a very sophisticated central nervous system, which, and the one byproduct of that is this apparent phenomena of consciousness. And then this body exists within an environment which is objective and even though it essentially is a container for the body, even though the body exists within and has sprang from and will eventually deteriorate back into this environment, the environment is held more to be more or less other, to be more or less different, to be more or less not me. So this is me, all this is not me. Um, and of course, there's all sorts of problematic, potentially problematic implications of this. So, well, what do I do about this not me? You know, how can I, how can I manipulate it? How can I own it? How can I cash in on it? How can I avoid being crushed by it? Etc. <laughs> Etc. Et um, and most human um, functioning is more or less claims to be explicitly more or less oriented to these various 
um, aspects of what to do about the relationship between the, the not me and the me and how to make all that work to my maximal advantage. <coughs> now, all that's fine and we're all very familiar with it more or less because this is you know, normal, normal worldview that most people are you know, sloppily indoctrinated into. Um, but it's not true. It's not real. It's not actual. What this is, what is here, is not actually like that. Not in the simple sense in which it is held to be so um, by the common materialist worldview. <coughs> and so the, the point of spirituality and the practice of spirituality consists of looking at what is actually here and discovering the way in which what is actually here deviates from this, the worldview which you have been brainwashed in, whatever it happens to be, um, to ultimately discover what is actually here in the way that it actually is. What is here is a very specific condition. It has a very specific nature. It's very precisely exactly what it is, exactly the way it is. And it's not hidden. It's not concealed. All of this is it. All of this is its revelation and its display. So by simply examining your experience and noticing what it actually is and the way it actually works, you will come to notice the way, again, the way it deviates from what it's ordinarily held to be and the way it's ordinarily held to work and the, the erroneous worldview, the erroneous misconceptions <coughs> with all of its implicit problems and difficulties and confusions ultimately becomes disproved, becomes revealed as um, inaccurate, as not actual, as irrelevant as a, as a gross misinterpretation of something that may appear to be kind of like that, but is not at all like that, and you discover what is actually here. And this is powerful and transformative and liberating, not just philosophically or scientifically, but also because you discover what you are, because what you are is this actuality that is here. You are this condition that exists. Um, and you discover this directly and self-verifyingly for yourself. And, which of course um, uh, has a profound implications in terms of the feeling tone of your nature and your context and your situation. Um, <coughs> that is radically different than the implication of the normal, you know, consensus worldview, if there was such a thing. <coughs> and this condition has been called liberation, enlightenment, realization, various other names, most of which are unnecessarily grandiose. But it is, it is an actual condition, it is an actual realization, which is nothing other than what has already always been the case but which was not recognized as such 
because of confused misinterpretations that were innocently, naively taken to be accurate. Um, and this is what spirituality is. 